be seated to have your copy of God's Word if you would find again the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter and back in the fourth chapter today. And can I just be honest with you this morning? I have to talk with you about something that I don't want to talk about. In fact, I'm tired of talking about it. And I'm tired of dealing with it in my own life. It's not pleasant. It's not fun. It's not popular. And there's a lot of things I'd rather talk with you about today than what I've got to talk to you about. In fact, I kind of feel like the weatherman uh, who's doing the forecast and wants to tell you that this weekend's going to be beautiful and sunny and just the perfect temperature, but in all actuality has to tell you that a hurricane is on its way. And so today, Christian friend, I have to remind you of this truth that I don't want to remind you of, but I have to, and that is suffering and trials are coming your way. Suffering and trials are coming your way. Suffering and trials, these are the things I'm tired of talking about. I'm tired of preaching about. I'm tired of experiencing them in my own life. But to be a faithful weather forecaster, you have to tell about the sunshine and the rain. And to be a faithful preacher, you have to tell about joy and sorrow. In fact, the Bible is very, very clear in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Yes, and all who desire to live godly... And Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Acts chapter 14, verse 22 says it this way, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, listen, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And so when you do a book study like 1 Peter and you go verse by verse and section by section, you have to talk about what the book talks about and today... We're talking about suffering and trials again. But listen, I've got good news. In the midst of the gloomy forecast, there is hope. There is joy because we're talking about hope for the hurting. And so you're there in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 12 through 19 and see what God has for us today. We're going to talk about the idea of dealing with a fiery trial. Dealing with a fiery trial. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. It's important for us to understand and remember that suffering and trials are a part of of the Christian life. I I recorded something that uh, a fellow wrote as I was studying this past week, and it's well worth sharing with you. 
Juan Sanchez said, if you do not have a theology of Christian suffering that is informed by Scripture, you'll be surprised when you suffer. In the midst of Christian suffering, you will likely ask the wrong questions or give the wrong answers. You will likely feel emotionally confused whenever you may suffer. You may assume that God has abandoned you or God is punishing you. You may become angry or bitter at God. You may respond irrationally, blaming God or others. You may even ultimately reject God, reject Christ, reject the church and the Christian faith. But he says, don't think that way or go that way because Peter says, don't be surprised when you face Christian suffering because God is at work in you and through your suffering to bring you to Himself. And what he wrote is absolutely correct. And so I want us to to build up that proper understanding, that theology of Christian suffering and what all that's about and how do we respond to suffering in our life. And Peter here does not so much deal with the idea of why we suffer as to how we should respond when we suffer. You notice he loves these brothers and sisters. He, He begins, verse 12, by calling them beloved. And then he lays down for them how to respond to a fiery trial. And I want to share four ways that we should respond to fiery trials in our life. And so when a fiery trial comes, how do we respond? Well, there's four things here I want to point out. First of all, we need to expect it. We need to expect it. One of the best ways to deal with persecution and suffering and trials in the Christian life is to go ahead and expect that they're going to come. They're going to come. Look at verse 12 again. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened. And isn't that what we do many times when the trials come? We begin to ask questions like, why is this happening to me? Or how could God allow this to happen? Or I can't believe this was happening just because I love Jesus or because I'm a follower of Jesus. But he says here, it's not strange. It's not unusual. It's not odd. In fact, if you spend any time in your Bible and you go back and you read the stories of the men and women of faith, you find out very quickly that suffering and trials and problems and pain are a part and partial of the Christian life. You know, we love reading about the heroes of the faith. In fact, I know in the adult curriculum, we've been studying about Elijah, and I think today, right, Elisha takes over, and and, uh, we're looking at these things. We love looking at those stories of these great men and women of faith, Moses and Abraham and Sarah. But when you go to Hebrews 11, in fact, if you want to turn there, you can. You can just listen. Hebrews 11, you know, is the hall of faith. And it talks about the men and women of God and how they were men and women of faith. When you come down to verse 36, though, it's very interesting because he begins saying this, still others, Hebrews 11:36, had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. Verse 37 says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were cut in two were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38 says, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And those are men and women of faith. Those are heroes of faith. And yet look what happened to them. 
chained and imprisoned and tortured and cut in two and ran through with swords and all kinds of horrible things. But they were men and women of faith. They're in the hall of faith. Now, truth be known, we prefer our American version of Christianity, our Americanized version of Christianity. We want the American version of Christianity. And a lot of people think this way. Well, here's what I want. I want the American dream. And I want Jesus sprinkled on top of it. That's not Bible Christianity. That's not what we find in the Scripture. There are a lot of people who say, listen, I'm fine with following Jesus as long as He takes me down a smooth road with no potholes, no breakdowns, and no engine trouble. I want a smooth ride. And Jesus can, can be in the car with me. And I want a smooth ride. But beloved, that's not what the Bible teaches. We want a stress-free, wrinkle-free Christianity. But beloved... That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus said this in John chapter 15 and verse 20. These are the words of Jesus. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. And so over and over again, we're told in Scripture that if you're going to follow Jesus, it's not going to always be easy. In fact, following Jesus is going to make things a lot harder in many regards. So go ahead and mark it down in big, bold letters. Christians, you're going to have problems. You're going to have trials. You're going to have suffering in your life. But notice it's for your good. They say, now come again. Well, listen. Notice that he says in verse 12 that these things come in our lives to try us or to test us. And as you've already learned in First Peter, he does not waste our suffering. He does not waste pain in our lives. There's a purpose in our pain. There's a purpose behind what He's doing. And so go ahead and expect the trials to come. Expect the suffering. Expect persecution. Expect the problems. But then there's something else we need to do when they do come, when the trial comes. And this might even be harder. We are to rejoice in it. Yeah, you heard me right. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in the fact that you're suffering for Jesus. Now, how in the world could Peter give that counsel? Well, look at verse 13. 1 Peter 4.13. But rejoice to the extent, watch this next part, that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. So, in other words, when we begin to suffer on behalf of Christ... Something comes in our lives because of us being a believer, because of our faith in Christ, a fiery trial. We rejoice, first of all, because we begin to understand a little bit better Christ and His suffering. We're nowhere near that. We begin to understand a little bit better about Christ, that Christ suffered just for the unjust. He, he took upon Himself our sin. He did nothing wrong, but He suffered voluntarily at the hands of sinful men and women that we might have eternal life. And so we understand, we begin to understand Jesus a little bit better in His sufferings. And then likewise, we understand and we rejoice that when He is revealed, when He comes back for us, we are going to be rewarded for the suffering that we endure on His behalf. 
So that's how we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. No, nobody in the right mind, right mind likes pain. We don't go looking for it. But when it comes, we're expecting it's going to come. But when it comes, we rejoice in it. Why? Well, number one, because we're beginning to understand Christ's suffering better. And number two, we understand if we're faithful in that, he's going to reward us when he returns again. In fact, look at verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. So here's another reason we can rejoice. We're, we're, we're blessed when we're reproached, when we're insulted, when we're slandered on behalf of Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit ministers to us in those times in a very special way. And while they're blaspheming him, our lives, our response, our living for Christ, it brings glory to his name. And so when you begin to understand all that's going on in the midst of the fiery trial, it makes it a lot easier to rejoice in it. When you step back out of the emotion and the pain and the questions and just begin to look at it and understand what God is doing behind the scenes, it becomes a lot easier to rejoice in the fiery trial. So we should expect the fiery trial. We should rejoice in the fiery trial. And here's another important one. Don't be ashamed of it. Don't be ashamed of it. Look at verse 16. If anyone suffers, watch this, suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this manner. Now listen, if you suffer for Jesus, you should never be ashamed. We should never hang our heads when it comes to Jesus. Never. Not when it comes to Jesus. I've got to be honest with you. I've got to admit, one of the greatest regrets of my life, in fact, one of the things I'm probably most ashamed of in my life happened when I was in high school. We had an unusual, well, I'll be kind in saying this, we had a teacher who was unusual in many ways. Unusual in many ways. And later on, when he found out that um, I was going to be a minister of the gospel, he gave me the nickname Rev. And that's what I was in his class. But prior to that, it may have been maybe the year before. I don't remember exactly what grade it was. We were in his class. This is prior to his knowing I was going to be a minister and all that. Uh, he wanted to know how many Christians were in the room. We were all seated in our desk. And he wanted to know which of us were Christians. And uh, I think, if I remember correctly, it's been a long time ago. I think we were to raise our hand. If we were a Christian. Now I'm fairly certain I was not the only believer in that room. I'm fairly certain I was not the only Christian there that day. But sadly, not one of us raised our hands. Not one of us. And it's one of the greatest regrets of my life. It's one of the things I'm ashamed of the most. We should never be ashamed of Jesus. We should never hang our heads when it comes to Jesus. And if suffering comes as a result of being a believer, so be it. Because sometimes when you take a stand for Christ, you do it in a nice way, a godly way, but it's going to cost you. But you don't have to hang your head in shame. You don't have to sit there and feel ashamed. Never be ashamed of Jesus. Never be ashamed of suffering for Jesus. There are some things that ought to bring us shame. He mentions those in verse 15. He says in verse 15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer. 
or a thief or an evildoer. And I find so interesting in this list of murderer, a thief, and an evildoer, he adds on this part, or a busybody in other people's matters. Did you find that interesting? Murderer, thief, evildoer, busybody. Because if you do that, you ought to be ashamed. But if you're suffering for Jesus, you don't be ashamed. You don't hang your head in shame. If you're going to suffer, in other words, suffer for that which is right. Suffer for that which is worthy. Suffer for Jesus. Brings us to the fourth way. We deal with a fiery trial. We should expect it. We should rejoice in it, not be ashamed of it. And we should trust God in it. Look at verses 17 and 18. Very interesting verses. Verse 17, 18. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? In other words, God's going to bring discipline and correction to his people. He's going to bring discipline and correction to his church, to the house of God, to the people of God, to the family of God. Why? Because he loves us. And we understand that as parents and grandchildren. You discipline, you correct your children and grandchildren because you love them and you want what's best for them. And because they're yours. But the point he's making is this. Listen, if God disciplines and corrects us and brings about this in our lives, imagine what the judgment's going to be like for those who don't know him and those who hate him and those who reject him. But can I just tell you that God does not want to bring that judgment upon those who deny him. In fact, the Bible says he wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason he's so long-suffering and waiting even now is that people might repent of their sin and come and place their faith in Christ. But judgment is coming. In fact, the Bible says that if you don't know Jesus Christ, you're already under condemnation. And you're going to stand before God at the great white throne judgment and give an account of your life and you're going to be cast to the lake of fire. But you don't have to. Because God has provided the way, the truth, the life, the Lord Jesus Christ who, who came and lived a sinless, perfect life and laid down His life upon that cross and shed His precious blood and died in your place and took your sin. If you'll but call upon Him, He will save you. And so I encourage you, I exhort you, I beg you today, if you've never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ, please don't leave this building without doing that. Place your faith in Christ alone. He died for you. He died for me. For those of us who already know God, when it comes to the fiery trials of our life, we've got to trust God and trust ourselves to God. Look at verse 19. It's a very rich verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. This is a rich verse. In fact, we could have built the whole message around it. But I want to take it apart and I want you to see the beautiful parts of this verse. I want you to notice, first of all, from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, I want you to notice that it is God's will that we suffer. And let me say that again. I want you to hear me clearly. It is God's will that we suffer. Now, that's a hard pill for us to swallow, but it says there, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. Now, think about it for a moment. 
even as sinful, fallen, imperfect parents, don't we know that it's good at times to let our children suffer? Say, so what do you mean? Well, they refuse to study. They got a test coming up tomorrow. You remind them this afternoon, you got that test. Oh, I know, Mom and Dad, I know, I got to I'm going to study. I know. I'll study on the bus. Okay. And you're a good, good father. You're a good, good mother. You remind them later in the day. Did you study? And they don't study, and what happens? They fail. And they suffer. And it's good! (laughs) Know why? A great lesson, hopefully, was learned. Their consequences. They refuse to listen. They get in trouble. Growth occurs in their life. You and I both understand, right? That there are some lessons and some growth that takes place, it seems, only through difficulty. And so you let your children suffer at times. Not because you despise them, not because you don't love them, but because you do love them. And there's some things that you just can't seem to get through them the easy way. Say, okay, well fine, you learn it your way. But the, the main thing is they learn it. And they grow and they mature. Now, if we know that as fallen, sinful parents, how much more does our Heavenly Father know that there's some things that we need to go through in our lives because we have to grow in those things and there's no other way we're going to get the lessons unless we grow. So it is God's will at times that we suffer. It is God's will that we suffer because He loves us, He's maturing us, and He knows we're going to grow through that difficulty. Suffering is a part of the maturing process. Verse 19 again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. So don't let, let anybody ever tell you it's never God's will for you to suffer. First Peter 4.19 says it is according to the will of God. Notice the second thing. We're to, we're to commit our souls to Him in the midst of the suffering. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good. The word commit there in verse 19, to commit your soul, is a banking term in the Greek. It's the idea of um, entrusting a deposit to safekeeping. Like you take your check and you deposit it for safekeeping. That's the idea. That's what's behind that word. Commit your souls in that way. And it says here that he will keep us and allow us to do good in the midst of our suffering. And so in the midst of our suffering, when things are hard, we bring ourselves to the Lord and we commit ourselves to him. And we let him know that um, we're suffering. So he already knows, yeah, but he wants us to come and talk to him. But cast all your care upon him. And you commit yourself. Say, Lord, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what you're trying to teach me. I don't know why these things are going on in my life. But I'm going to commit myself to you. I'm going to trust you. I want to do good in the midst of this and not evil. I don't want to sin in the midst of it. I don't want to respond evil for evil. I don't want to, I don't want to lash out. I don't want to do any of that because remember, it's a fiery trial for the Christian. I don't want to respond in a wrong way. I want to be like Jesus who was reviled, reviled not again. I don't want to lash. I don't want to sin. I just commit myself to you and I want to do good. And there's a third thing there. We can rest in him because he is faithful. Look at verse 19 again. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. It's interesting to use the word creator there. 
The faithful part we get. But he didn't say faithful Savior or faithful Lord, although he is. He says a faithful Creator. It's a reminder that he made us. He put us together. He sustains us. He knows everything about us. In other words, beloved, he knows what we need in our lives. He knows how he can make us grow. He knows what areas he needs to work on in us to polish us and to shape us. And he's faithful. He's faithful. And is that not what we need in the midst of our trials and our suffering and our issues and our problems? We need our faithful Creator Father to hold us and care for us and meet our needs in the midst of our troubles and our trials. Really what we need, as you think about it, in this passage, is we need to be reminded of His presence. His presence in the midst of the trials of life. To know that He's there. To know that He cares. To know that He's holding on. To know that He has not forsaken you. He's not abandoned you. He's not mad at you. He's not doing any of that. He loves you with an everlasting love. And there's a purpose behind your pain. There's a purpose behind what you're going through. He's perfectly in control. He's sovereign. And He knows what He's doing. And you can rest in Him and trust in Him because He is faithful. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So I was preparing this, I thought about a Christian that I greatly admire and respect. Her name is Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know her story, in fact, she just turned 70 or is about to turn 70 uh, here just within recent days. Johnny was injured in um, a diving accident, I think at the age of 17. And as you see, she's a quadriplegic. And uh, you may have heard her story, you may have seen her story, you may have heard, you know, she can... Uh, she can paint with um, a brush in her mouth, beautiful paintings. She sings. But she has a ministry that she leads, uh, Johnny and Friends, where she ministers to disabled people and has done so for years and years and years and years and years. And she's one of those Christians that when you get around her or you hear her, you realize just how puny your faith is and you realize how far you've got to go in your Christian growth. It's just one of those people that just humbles you. We had a, 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 young, uh, a young man, or I should say, well, I guess he's still young. He's my age. <clears throat> uh, he was younger back then. In, in the church we were in in Tennessee, um, he's now the pastor of that church. He also is a quadriplegic. He had an accident in, when he was attending Christian University, and someone ran into him, him and broke him. Just whenever I'm around him, it's just a humbling thing, just a humbling thing to see their faith and their perseverance and, and their love of Jesus and no complaints coming out of their mouths. But Johnny is that type of person. And I was reading a devotional this past week, and it really, really fit with this. It's a little book called Finding God in Hidden Places. And I want to give it to you in Johnny's words. Now remember, she's a quadriplegic. Now remember that as you're reading this, as I'm reading this. She said it was nighttime. Topanga Canyon Boulevard was at its busiest. Right under a dark overpass. And by the way, I've got to remind you now, since she became a quadriplegic, She's had breast cancer. She's had a relapse of cancer. I mean, and there's been times where she's had these things happen. And, and, and I'm going to be honest, I think, oh God, how much more is she going to bear? But, but, but I just want to add that to what I'm about to tell you because see how she grows. So she's under this dark overpass. She said, my handicap equipped van conked out. Everything went dead. The engine, the lights, and to my horror, the brakes and the steering. 
I was careening up a busy boulevard without any controls. I yanked violently on the braking mechanism, but my puny shoulder muscles were no match for the weight of a three-quarter ton van rolling forward. I was able to put a lid on my panic when the van finally drifted to a stop just short of the next intersection and cars kept speeding around me. After most of the traffic moved to the intersection, just when I thought I was safe, I streamed. My van was drifting backward. Oh, God, help me. Help me, I whimpered as I strained with all my might to pull back on the brake. I glanced in the rearview mirror and saw the headlights of oncoming traffic barreling up the boulevard. The van continued to drift in reverse in the dark with no taillights. I braced myself for the sound of screeching brakes and a rear-end collision. Is this the way I'm going to die in a fiery crash? God, have you abandoned me? Just as I quit struggling and hunched over, waiting for a frightening crash, I spotted my husband's truck. <clears throat> That's her husband, Ken, there next to her. I knew Ken had been driving somewhere behind me, but I didn't expect him to be the first to reach me out of the park, or excuse me, pack of traffic. He suddenly came to a halt. As cars zoomed by, he jumped out of his truck, bolted into the van, and manhandled the braking mechanism to a stop. Ken then lifted me out of my wheelchair and carried me to his truck, all while horns honked and drivers kept flicking their high beams. Never before had we been in such danger. Weeks later, my nerves are still rattled. And when I lay my head on the pillow at night, images of what could have happened jar me awake. Something else bothers me. My vulnerability. I've always leaned hard on God's protection for the helpless, but in my most helpless moment, when I could do absolutely nothing for myself, what happened to my trust in Him? My confidence in God isn't as unshakable as I thought. It hurts to know that my faith is so fragile. When I read in Psalm 27, verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? My answer is, I fear dead batteries and no brakes. That's why to shore up my faith, I've been rereading re a few biblical accounts of the way God helps His people. And I keep coming back to the story of Jesus calming the storm. I have to admit, I used to scoff at the disciples being so afraid. What's the big deal about a storm, I used to think? So what if their boat nearly capsized? Good grief, they had Jesus right there with them, even if He was asleep. I'm not so cocky anymore. Now when I read the account in Luke, I notice words like, the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. There's no soft pedaling it. The narrow escape out of that storm was a horrifying experience to each of them. Their fear was real, and their lack of trust in God was understandable. She continues, like the disciples, I was also in great danger, and my vehicle was about to capsize. I was also within inches of death. Fear seized me just as it did them. But I take comfort in this, and I want you to listen to this in closing. But I take comfort in this. Although it seemed as though God were asleep, when I was at the wheel, 
He wasn't. He was there. I remind myself that no matter if it's by the skin of the teeth or with miles to spare, God helps His people. If it's not their appointed time to die, God will deliver them. God will keep us. He'll help. He'll intervene. Perhaps just in the nick of time. Is that too close for comfort? Maybe. But our trust in Him was never meant to be comfortable, only close. And the nick of time is close enough. Beloved, when you're in a fiery trial, can I just remind you, based upon the Word of God, He's not asleep, He's there. And he'll come through, even if it is just in the nick of time. And beloved, that's close enough. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we don't like these lessons. We like to hear about your faithfulness. We like to hear about your goodness. We like to know all those things, Lord. But we're going to be honest. The parts about our suffering and our frailty and our vulnerability... And persecution and trials is very difficult. But we know it's necessary and we know at times it is your will. And Lord, in the midst of that, you are right here with us and you're holding us. And we can rest in you because you're faithful and we can commit our lives to you. And Lord, I don't know what my brothers and sisters are dealing with today. I don't know what's coming this week. But you do. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. Help us never to be ashamed of you. To never backpedal regarding you. To never run away from the issues that come because of our faith in you. But to trust you, to stand for you, and to rest in you. Knowing that you will deliver absolutely perfectly. Sometimes it's by deliverance here and sometimes it's by taking us on to heaven. But you're faithful. Lord, I pray if anybody's here today that does not know you, I pray your Holy Spirit to touch their heart right now. That they turn from their sin and place their faith in Christ. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through fiery trials right now that you administer your grace to them and hold them close to yourself and help them to be faithful and help them to trust you. We love you and we praise you and we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 559. The altar is open today. If you need to be saved, you can come down. We'd love to help you with that. If you want to come and just pray, we welcome you to do that as well. You can come on your own. If you want us to pray with you, we'd be happy to do that. 559, more love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. The altar is open. Let's stand together and sing. You come as God leads you.